Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of March 27th through March 29th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So we've hit week three of this weird world for box office numbers due to social distancing efforts. After last week's episode, the big news is that Warner has finally decided to push Wonder Woman back uh, to August, heralding more movies that should be moving soon. The next big test will be if or when Tenet moves from its July spot, though I imagine that's mostly due to the negotiation with Christopher Nolan than any sort of stubbornness to try to keep that spot. Uh, YouTube movie analysis channels are starting to come out with lists of movies you should be checking out while you're under quarantine. Um, there's an excellent piece in The Hollywood Reporter by Pamela McClintock about the human side of the box office and analysis journalism beat and how that's been affected by this after years and years of waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning on the weekends uh, to cover the numbers. There is news of uh, drive-in theaters in states without mandatory orders to discontinue non-essential businesses actually seeing a resurgence uh, in profits by playing Onward and The Invisible Man. And perhaps most hardeningly, uh, is that a word, Uh, there are various efforts to support movie theater workers who have been furloughed um, as a result of uh, the theater closers. Distributors Kino Lorber and Oscilloscope have released the indie films Baccarat and St. Francis on streaming, with 50% of the proceeds being go- going to supporting independent movie theater chains uh, that provide referrals to these streaming services. So, this effort to split streaming revenue in this trying time between distributors and movie theater chains, at least for the indie films and indie distributors and uh, exhibitors, reminds me of a box office concept I wanted to go over, so we'll dive into that today. Uh, we'll be taking a look at the distributor-exhibitor split. So last week, we talked about how there are production slash distribution companies, companies who make the films and manage the marketing and licensing of the movie to exhibitors, streaming, digital purchases, and physical sales. And then there are the exhibition companies, movie theater chains ranging from market leaders, such as AMC, Cinemark, and Regal, down to more indie chains like Alamo Drafthouse or the Angelica Film Center here in New York. As we also talked about last week, part of the negotiations between distributors and exhibitors is the theatrical window, the period of time between which a movie comes out to theaters and becomes available on home purchase. That basically functions as an exclusive period for exhibitors to be able to sew the film and be the only one place you can see that film. Uh, this is generally about three months nowadays, though obviously with COVID-19 around, that period is shortening uh, with various films being released to streaming a little bit early. The other major component for these negotiations between distributors and exhibitors is the distributor-exhibitor split. While movie theaters make most of their profits via concessions due to the high markup, you know, a bag of popcorn costs how much and how much are they charging you for it, uh, the box office revenue is not insignificant to their bottom line. If a movie theater has a $100 million opening weekend, how much of that money goes to the exhibitor and how much goes back to the distributor? And when the film goes on to make $250 million over a 20-week run, how much is that split? Uh, The answer is, as with most things in life, it depends. And in this case, it depends on that agreement drawn up ahead of time between the exhibitor and the distributor. At a very basic level, the simplest system is that distributors and exhibitors generally agree on a percentage split for each week's tickets. Uh, Generally, these are in the range of 45% to 55% going to one party, um, 
and the other 55 and 45 percent obviously going to the other uh, generally the larger the film and the distributor the more negotiating power they have and thus the larger split they can take so they end up on the 55 percent of side while um the theater ends up on 45%. On the other hand, a small art house distributor may get as low as 30% of box office gross, according to some numbers I've seen online. Um, on the other hand, Disney Fox and their whole movie-making machine are able to demand up to 65% of box office receipts uh, for the recent Star Wars films, most notably. Uh, we'll get back to this later. So, in a hypothetical example, if we assume that there are no screenings during the weekdays, only weekend numbers, and consistent week-over-week drops of 40%, uh, movie opening at 100 million week one will, net over, will over 20 weeks, drop down to about uh, 20, 250 million over its entire run. If we apply a 55-45 split between the distributor and the exhibitor, the opening weekend for the distributor will get 55 million, and the exhibitor will get 45 million. Uh, in week two, this goes down to a $60 million total. And again, the split here will end up being um, $33 million, uh, And then the, the exhibitor will get $27 million. Um, and then week three, $36 million total box office, uh, 19.8 to the exhibitor, or to the distributor, 16.2 to the exhibitor, and so on down the line. Um, out of the about $250 million, this ends up netting over the 20 week course, $137 million and a half for the distributor and 112.5 million for the this for the exhibitor so you know the straight 55 45 split easy peasy however things weren't always that simple uh you may have heard before that the reason movie snacks are so expensive is that the cinema only keeps 10 percent of the box office revenue so they have to make it up through the snacks the origin of the saying comes from what was previously known as the sliding scale system. In this system, for say, the first two weeks of a film being sewn, uh, the distributor would get the vast majority of box office gross, sometimes up to that 90% of box office revenue for the week, with exhibitors getting only 10%. After the first two weeks, this would shift to maybe a 70-30 split uh, for another couple of weeks, and then maybe 50-50, uh, going down the line until the end of the film's run, when the exhibitor would maybe be getting the 90%. However, that 90% at the end of the box office run was definitely much smaller than the 90% you get opening weekend when the total bulk, when the bulk of movie viewers go to see a film. Uh, this would benefit exhibitors if a film ended up having a super laggy run, as uh, it dropped very little from week to week. Um, your split goes up. Um, this is the case, you know, and and you can still make a, a de decent total amount of money on the run. I'm running some numbers with a, a, a hypothetical split. Um, you know, I got somewhere maybe in the range of, you know, 90 million to the exhibitor and the rest to the distributor. So not quite as good as the 112 million um, that you get with a straight up split nowadays, um, but still nothing to sneeze at. Um, of course, this was also the model back when we didn't have streaming and the theatrical window was instead of a three month window closer to six months. So you would have, you know, longer runs in theaters and more people would be seeing a film maybe later in its run instead of, you know, going to, you know, just wait for it to come out on uh, on streaming. Um, so again, as the model of the economy has changed, uh, so too has the split worked here. Uh, one caveat to this methodology, uh, usually there's what's known as the house nut. Um, think of it as a minimum guarantee that the to the exhibitor to be able to cover the basic cost of running a movie theater. Um, you know, the split described above would have been calculated after the house nut was calculated, accounted for. So, you know, in our example, we have a $100 million opening weekend. Let's say hypothetically the nut was 
10 million for easy math, though I've seen numbers saying that the house that might have been somewhere from 25 to 35%. But say, you know, $100 million opening weekend um, with a 90-10 split on the first weekend, if you take 10 million out for the opening uh, for the house nut, that leaves 90 million left to be split. So 81 million will go to the distributor and 9 million would go to the exhibitor on top of that 10 million house nut for $19 million total. Um, without an exact schedule of what the house nuts look like, and also without the schedule of how the split will change over the uh, the weeks of a, of a movie's run, um, I can't really model out beyond that first week. However, by most accounts, by the end of a run, this did end up actually netting out to about the 50-50 split we see nowadays, perhaps a bit more in favor of the distributor than current models uh, currently have. One other model that's you know, barely worth mentioning, but still going to mention it, is the four-wall distribution model. Uh, this generally hasn't been used much since the 60s or 70s, and generally it was used outside of major markets such as New York or LA um, at any major scale. Basically what happens in this model is a distributor will rent out the screen for the, from the exhibitor for a set period of time for a fixed price, and they get to keep up. And then the distributor or the filmmaker, if they're the ones doing it, gets to give 100% of the box office receipts. Um, according to a piece in The Garden, which I found from 2015, a theater owner can make anywhere, depending on the locale and the various options they, they set out, between 2000 and 18000 um, you know, for their flat fee, which, you know, given that, you know, most blockbuster releases are somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, 4000 opening weekend uh, per theater average, that's not that bad, um, you know, in... In the same piece, however, uh, they said that four-walling uh, distribution was generally seen in New York as a way for independent you know, filmmakers to try to get their films seen by a film reviewer from a publication such as the New York Times. I think the number was something like in New York, there were, you know, over in a given year, there was over a thousand uh, one-week engagements at, you know, various film uh, film exhibitors in New York, um, and the New York Times ended up covering something like 980 of them. Um, so, you know, and the example used in the piece was this, you know, Ritz guy who essentially took home footage of a yacht trip um, and uh, made a movie out of that, if you could call it a movie. So, you know, not the the cutting edge film we see here. Um, and and the, the the Guardian piece did also say most reviews ended up not exactly being complimentary of four wall film. So this isn't something you see uh, super common anymore. So, of course, the terms of all of these different forms of distribution are really, if ever, made public. Um, there are other terms these negotiations also include. For example, going back to the Disney example, they may require that their films be shown on the biggest auditorium in a movie theater for a minimum number of weeks uh, without allowing it to share time with any other film that the exhibitor might want to show. Um, you know, if you know, there are cases, a, a split movie screen is, let's say, you know, you're running Avengers on Theater 1, um, you know, or or maybe a better example would be Toy Story you're showing on Theater 1, um, that's more geared toward kids, so, you know, maybe come, you know, after 8 p.m., uh, you might end up showing, you know, the new Rambo movie, for example, which is more adult-oriented. Um, so that's an example of splitting a film, but for, you know, something like Star Wars, Disney might say no splitting of, our, of your screen. Um, so, you know, for larger teams, this isn't necessarily a big of a prob- as big of a problem, especially if they have multi- multiplexes with multiple auditoriums. But for smaller mom-and-pop independent theater chains with only one or two screens, being locked into playing the newest Star Wars film for a certain number of weeks 
um, at only a 65-35 split, 35 going to the exhibitor, that might not be the best financial move for you. Um, to illustrate this, let's look at the past December. Um, so pretend we're a single movie screen that somehow on average represents the average performance of a movie across the nation. So Disney's come to us with terms for a 65-35 split, um, but we have to run only Star Wars for the next four weeks um, from opening weekend on our only screen. Going the per theater averages um, that Star Wars put up over this four-week period, December 20th, premiere weekend, the per theater average was 40.2 thousand. December 27th, 16.4 thousand. January 3 was 7.8, and January 10 was 3.5. Once we apply the 65-35% split, the exhibitor uh, is taking home 14,000, 5.7 thousand, 2.7 thousand, and 1.2 thousand in those respective weeks. Total of 23.8 thousand over this four-week period. At first glance, this doesn't seem like a pretty bad deal. Um, the next biggest wide release for these first few weeks is Jumanji, uh, Next Level. The per theater averages, so this is the second week of Jumanji, was the first week of Star Wars. Um, the per theater averages were 6.2, 8.3, and 6.3, followed by 3.5K on the, on the fourth weekend. You know, instead of this 65-35 split, let's say we got a 50-50 split from the distributor. Uh, we're taking home 3.1K, 4.2K, 3.2K, and 1.8K. So, you know, this note just totaled out to about, mm, call it 12K or so, or uh, actually no, a little bit closer. Yeah, about 12K or so. Um, however, pay attention to that. While in the first two weeks, Star Wars was making us more money, you know, 14K and and 5.7k versus 3.1 4.2 uh you know come weeks three and four um we actually were making more from jumanji uh jumanji was making 3.2 and 1.8 versus uh star wars was making 2.7 and 1.2k um however if we were locked into star wars we wouldn't be able to get to that jumanji money we'd only be able to stick with star wars and if you think about it, if you're a mom and pop shop in like an independent area um you know the people who are going to come and support your theater, they'll probably have seen Star Wars the first week. And, you know, they might, if it's a small community, you might not be getting, you know, a lot of repeat viewers of the film um, in weeks three and four. And, that, and your average might be even lower. Um, again, we have a magical theater that replicates the national averages. Um, you know, and let's say we were, you know, 1917 came out in this time. It was limited release um, on that second weekend, second and third weekend. Um, the per theater, and, you know, it was only 11 theaters across the nation. Let's say, hypothetically, we ended up being that 12th theater. Um, you know, the per theater average uh, for weeks two and three was over 50,000. Um, and in week four, it was a 10K per theater average. So, you know, even if we don't get the weeks two and three limited release and we only get the uh, week four um, 10k per theater average for 1917 50-50 split we're making 5k which is you know multiple thousands uh, per theater more um, than than we would be getting from Star Wars or Jumanji um, a better situation for movie theater owners would have been to be able to show Star Wars its opening weekend and then you know switch to 1917 afterwards um, or if we're not able to get into the limited release so Star Wars to take advantage of the high up and top traffic over the first two weeks maybe so a week of Jumanji in week three because it's doing better than Star Wars and you see that Jumanji has a pretty low drops even gaining in a couple weeks um, versus uh, Star Wars which just keeps dropping and dropping um, and then switching to uh, 1917 for the wide release or even more ideal would be for a single screen theater would be to show a mix of these three movies or even even more little woman came out this time throughout the weekend you know so you know uh 10 a.m you know uh little woman uh noon um jumanji uh 3 p.m star wars uh 6 p.m 1917 and a 9 p.m star wars again um 
Of course, with Disney demanding that our screen not be split, this wouldn't be possible. So, uh, taking a step back, looking at this big picture, how should we look at distributor-exhibitor splits? So, as a rule of thumb, you generally want you can generally assume that distributors and exhibitors split box office receipts 50-50 across the board, at least for domestic receipts. This is part of the reason why it's not enough for a film to simply make its production budget back at the box office. It needs to be successful enough not only for the exhibitor to get their cut, uh, for the distributor to get their cut, but for the exhibitor to also make, make money so that whatever cut they take, whatever gets passed back to the distributor, the distributor is able to make even. Um, and that's even without accounting for marketing costs, uh, which sometimes have a weird ambiguity. Them Hollywood's really good at fudging the numbers. Um, so you know, of course, and and then even then, a strong even if maybe it doesn't exactly break even at the box office, a strong box office will help with streaming rights, with physical rights, um, and video on the man, and so on later down the road. One last note: uh, these numbers mostly apply to U.S. exhibitors. For international markets, there's what's known as the 50-40-25 rule. While domestic exhibitors will generally net the distributor um, 50% of box office receipts, foreign exhibitors will generally net only 40%, usually as a result of value-added taxes or other fees um, that cut into the total um, the total margin. Um, and China is a special case where unless you're a Chinese distribution or production company, you're really only, only going to be making 25% of total box office receipts there. Looking at the top films of 2019, this generally works out to films will make anywhere in the ballpark, somewhere in the ballpark of 40% of total box office, um, you know, worldwide after the split. Um, films that generally rely more on China um, or international, such as Fast and the Furious, which I think only had 20% uh, domestic, or 30 to 20%, I think, or I think, yeah, 20% domestic, um, you know, will go as low as 30%. Um, of the of the split, whereas you know films that are more domestic focused, such as Joker, which didn't even release in China at all, but still was somehow able to break a billion dollars, it's nuts. Um, will edge north of that forty percent mark. Um, I'll get more into this next week when I look at the importance of international box office. Hint, hint for next week, foreshadowing. Um, but for the sake of this episode, you can go ahead and estimate that worldwide distribu- distributors will get to keep about forty percent of total revenue from gross box office. Um, that's all domestic and international. So with these three benchmarks, 50-50 for domestic, 60-40 for uh, worldwide, or if you want to be more granular, 50-40-25 for uh, domestic, uh, international, and China, um, that should be a, some easy tools you can use to try to make estimates about how well box office numbers are performing. Um, and that should be a wrap for this box week's box office concept. Unfortunately, as we expect, we don't really have much in the way of box office numbers to apply this these rules towards, um, and we don't really have anything that we can look forward to coming up in the coming weeks. As far as what I have been watching, as I know, last week I've been working through the films of Bong Joon-ho for my other podcast, Filmography and Focus. That episode released last Friday. Um, I finished up with Memories of Murder, his second film. Um, and that actually inspired my next month's uh, film for that box, that box off, uh, podcast. I'll be watching the films of David Fincher. Apparently his film Zodiac uh, has a lot of similarities between uh, that and Memories of Murder. So looking forward to that. I actually have never seen Fight Club before, so that'll be fun uh, to, to watch through. Um, but other than that, I have been watching much lately in terms of movies. Um, you know, the new anime season should be starting up uh, later this week, if not, you know, the week after. So that'll probably be what I'll be spending a lot of time watching. Um, in any case, that wraps up this that wraps up this week's watch. Um, if you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts to cover, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at bowatchpodcast. 
Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful. Links for those in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music comes from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.